0: Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Cursion. There's Andy Wood. Hello, hello. Hey, we got a fun, we got a neuroscience episode for you today. Finally, I know it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. I think there's going to be a fair bit of neuroscience coming up. A little little teaser there. But before we get into the guest, just a, a quick announcement, a plug, if you will. Um, I know, uh, I know a fair few listeners have found our show through StarTalk, because I've got to appear on it a couple of times, and, um, they are possibly going to have a cruise. Awesome. Yeah. So... Through the stars? Yeah, a cruise, literally to the stars. <laughs> okay. A cruise to the stars, or near the stars, or within sight of the stars. Inside <laughs> so, that, they're, they're investigating the possibility of doing a cruise. It'll be one of those... Themed cruises, except instead of Weezer, it'll be Neil deGrasse Tyson and assorted scientists and comedians
1: and 311
0: and three. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll still Obviously, be there, yeah. of course. So uh, they're they're gauging interest. They're gauging interest. If this is something that you might be interested in, you can go to startalkradio.net/slash cosmic cruise we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes and on the website on probably science.com but they've got a survey that you can fill out it's to gauge interest and part of that survey is asking who you might want to see as a guest on that cruise and i don't want to i don't want to push you one way or another but i do maybe suggest you know i don't know your favorite english co-host of star talk from time to time maybe suggest that Maybe even suggest that one of the fun activities might be some assorted other podcasts
1: Who knows? that could
0: happen live there when they're not doing Star Talk episodes, maybe in What's a side what, room. What podcasts would you be... I don't know, doing? just to, you know, if there's any co- other podcasts that might mix comedy and science that you might want to suggest as a possible alternative activity on the yeah. cruise. And so,
1: Leave that up to the listeners, I guess, so yeah. they can think of one. That you that's, know, uh...
0: Also put in other things that you might want to see. I'm not saying just, like, don't just write in, like, <laughs> us and nothing else. Or, like, you're not there, fuck you. But, like, you know, if, if this is something you might interested in maybe also suggest some of your favorite scientists who've been on both their show and ours uh because i mean I've, i found for example i Jana Levin introduced me to the star talk world she's a,
1: oh i didn't know that was your connection there
0: that was she was that was the reason i first got in with that because she was guest hosting an episode and when i happened to be in new york and she brought me in as the sidekick as oh, the ho- cool. co-host so yeah,
1: I've, I've never been on any kind of cruise before i i did a disney cruise as a kid Was it fun? It was
0: fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a kid and I was on a boat and every so often you'd bump into like Chip and Dale and that kind of thing. It was great. (laughs) But, But yeah, it sounds like a really cool idea. If, if if that's the sort of thing you're into, and I'm sure there are some listeners who that might be a thing that, that would appeal, they've got questions like when, what time of year, what's your sort of budgetary ideas, how many people would you want to cabin, you know, all that kind of thing. So fill that in. Uh, once again, it is startalkradio.net slash cruise. We'll put the link up as well in the show notes and on the website, on our website and fill in the survey just it's just to gauge the interest right now it's not necessarily happening but if it is and a lot of you suggest us then yeah who knows who knows might we might be drinking we might be drinking halfway between earth and the stars <laughs> i altogether. wonder if
1: if the clientele is as smart as i would assume it would be if people are going to be extra clever about sneaking booze on Oh, because have you gone down that? I don't know why. If I, I haven't been on a cruise, but I have done investigation into the various ways that you can. Like there are companies um, on Amazon that sell fake shampoo bottles that are flasks.
0: I was. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think I'm dropping him in this at all. But um, we we went to LCD Sound System in the AES at the weekend at the Hollywood Bowl. And I bumped into a friend of the show, Drennan Davis, uh-huh. and I took a swig from his sunscreen. <laughs>
1: which, <laughs> was it like 10 p.m.?
0: Yeah, it was like ten PM. So, you Prime know we type. no longer needed the sunscreen to prevent any sunburn, but it did have a very nice sort of mellow scotch flavour to it.
1: Nobody nobody who was going through his <laughs> bag at security was like, I think I think it's late enough in the day. No, you know it was still the night the
0: sun was still out when we entered. And also, oh, okay, okay. who knows, they might have been picnicking earlier on in the region. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's true. always it's always smart to have some sunscreen with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we should bring our guests in. We yes. should. This is This has been long in the making, this is someone who's been mentioned on the show, him and his work have been mentioned on the show in the past, and we'll get into this. Uh, A comedian, but more importantly for our purposes, a neuroscientist, Ori Amir. Hey, hey. How's it going? All good. So, uh, And an Israeli, I should point out as well, that's why the accent's going on here. Oh, that's what the my accent's secret. going on here. Okay, <laughs> that's not a that's not a grammatical <laughs> sentence in the slightest.
2: But appropriate for yeah. somebody with my uh, language background. <laughs>
0: it's, yeah, Israeli grammar. Who knows? Don't check. So <laughs> you or, have to listen to this this
1: podcast from right to left,
0: right? <laughs>
2: <Yes>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in reverse, it will make. If it don't make sense, you just listen to it in reverse, yeah, yeah. and, and you'll be like, "Yeah, well,
1: you yeah. y- you're quite
0: foolish to have complained. All you needed to do was listen to it the right way." Or the wrong way, depending on which way you're
2: looking at things. Let's not fight about
0: this. There's been enough conflict <laughs> in the too region. Much, too much. Yeah, let's <laughs>
2: peace in the Middle East on this podcast. Let's do it. Well, the Palestinians do read from right to left as well. So, so we yeah. disagree on That's that. That's like the one thing we agree on. So. That's like And, and that a- snacks,
0: you agree on snacks and food. you
1: food foodstuffs yeah, yeah. and.
2: For that, for Many that. things. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a good point. Yeah, wasn't that a hack- Jerusalem being holy? You know, we on yeah. a lot of things. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> the reading in the same direction. Wasn't there like a hacky joke when the channel was being dug? Because do, does France drive on the right side or left side? France does drive on the right side. All of continental like, what's going to happen when they finish the tunnel? I was like, yep. I'm sure
0: they I'm sure it's fine. Well, that that is. Um, I think apparently you're most likely to crash because we we did um. We never did the car onto the train, which is one of the ways you can do the Channel Tunnel. But we used to, as
1: oh, okay, I see, yeah. It's like a there are two a, ch- a train ferry sort of yeah, right?
0: kind yeah. of yeah. But we did do the um as as kids before the tunnel was even built. We'd take the car ferry from just across the channel because mm-hmm. again, it's like if for people who don't know the geography of it, it's pretty. England is very close to France. Like people swim that distance, and but
1: don't some of them. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of that woman who's tried to swim from like Cuba to Diane Nyad. That was a way farther swim, right? Oh, who had all the jellyfish stings and had to give up. Yeah,
0: I, the channel I mean, is easier to swim. It's this. substantially yeah. easier. Yeah, you can. I think originally it took people about the best part of a day, but now there are records that are just a few hours. Like it's.
1: Real? Oh, okay, that's that. I'm
0: not sure what the record is right now. I can look it up, but um, I don't have my laptop in front of me right now. I feel naked. <laughs> because um, you recommend going through Normandy or. Uh... What, yeah, what, was, what is the. We, we used to go Calais to Dover as the ferry crossing. But what I was going to say is when you drive your car back off, apparently you're far more likely to crash when you get home. Because you're. You've because got when you drive to, into France, when you drive onto the wrong side, you're super cautious. But when you get back home again. You're cocky. You're, yeah, you're like, oh, I now had to drive on this side of the road, but your brain's already semi reset. Oh. Uh-huh. So then you just sort of drive into traffic.
1: I've never attempt. I don't think I ever will attempt left side driving. It terrifies me. It's, I don't know how people just from America just go over there and rent cars and think they can do it. That's, it's it's really it's not that hard. Mm.
0: It's not that difficult because the roads look different and and everything. It's tricky as well if you're driving your own car into another country like which is what happened when we took the ferry over. Oh yeah. Because everything's also on the wrong side. So it's like overtaking's hard because you have to pull all the way out into traffic unless someone on the passenger side is s- spotting you. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like the, the steering wheel is normally on the side side of the car that is towards the middle of the road. So that if you want to overtake someone, you only need to move out a little bit and you can see past the tri- the car in front.
1: Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean, yeah, yeah.
0: Whereas if you're driving with a car that's on the wrong side, you have to... You have to the car's basically two-thirds of the way into the other lane of traffic before you can even sort of peek around and see if there's someone coming towards
1: you. If it's two lanes... Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. So, so I get, anyway... I, inherent danger. This has been... Uh... This has been Car Talk. Oh, all... <laughs> <laughs> we should rename all our right. show Car Talk. That's never I'll been call... done, right? That's a good
0: podcast idea. Um, hey, Ari, so you are one of very few people who have put me into an MRI scanner. Oh, you have others? <laughs> I have. I, ha- <laughs> I, I, I had one for medical reasons okay. where I had a back problem as a kid, but uh, I've never... But not an fMRI scanner. So let's start with that. Let's even start with what is an fMRI scanner, and before we get into why
2: you put me in one. Okay, I got jealous there for a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, fMRI. Well, MRI is um is using is using magnetic a magnetic field essentially to to look inside um inside the body. Um, and fMRI is when you look into the um, functional um uh, functional uh, basically you look at the um at things that are changing that are moving you can look at the heart uh, uh heart palpitations so or you can look at the um activity in the brain uh well you, you're not really looking at the activity in the brain you're looking at the um basically blood flow or or something in the blood the the deoxygenated hemoglobin that that, that comes to origin um to a greater in greater magnitudes once you, uh, Once this region has been activated for a while
0: oh, okay, oh when it 's been activated for a while, so you, you can 't so the MRI still can 't detect the actual electrical impulses, right. but if one part of the brain is firing up more than usual, you can you can see the increased blood flow, and that'll show up as sort exactly. of hot spots on the on
2: the map exactly so a few th- a few seconds after coming to that region. And the the correlates of that is what the fMRI is picking. So the temporal resolution is not amazing, but... Is know, that
1: what the... F, so I'm tr- still trying to figure out what is functional and what is not. So does the f just imply it's over time so you can see changes in things or...
2: Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah. okay,
1: okay. And it's not... Like, how would you compare all of the various ways we have of uh looking inside bodies without cutting them open like uh you know x-ray ct scan fmri like how how do all those differ or what are the
2: so they vary in terms of the the what what the signal is picking up and uh technically and also varies in terms of in terms of the quality of the the temporal and the and the special resolution so fmri has a one of the better uh, special resolutions, as long as they're not actually in the brain, like putting electrodes in the on the brain itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you can you can see activity within a millimeter, like the difference between you know one millimeter and the millimeter next to it. Uh, you can you you have that resolution. Of course, within a millimeter one millimeter. You still have thousands of neurons, mm-hmm. uh, but um, but things like EEG. Uh, they're looking at uh, they're actually recording the electrical signals coming from the brain, so that that's actually correlates to the to the neural activity itself. But uh, but uh, so so you, so you do have a great tempor- uh, time resolution, temporal resolution. Um, you do see a f- uh, millisecond by millisecond differences in activity, but the, it's hard to localize exactly where the uh, the signal is coming from. That's with the EG, E. G. Yeah, okay.
0: that that's the one where they sort of put the electrodes over your. Over your head and actually right. measure the actual electrical impulses. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So oh.
1: could both of those render for you a three-dimensional view, or are they? Like, which ones are the ones where you sort
2: of see slices? Well, of- MRI is slices, isn't it? Is that how? Yeah, yeah. M- MRI is the one you typically see slices. Also CT and others, but. Uh, o o pet if if you look at the functional it's called uh, positron emission tomography which uh, it, it has to do with with radio uh, radioactive signal you basically inject some some radioactive material to the blood and you, you you track that um mri you you track something fmri you typically track something that um is already there the uh, deoxygenated hemoglobin in, in the blood flow which happens to have some magnetic properties you can you can uh,
1: Oh what is it about being deoxygenated that makes it
2: um it allows you to to um when you when you shift the magnetic field a little bit um using using a pulse signal uh, you you um you can change the spin of a of le- of like a small fraction of of the deoxygenated hemoglobin molecules and and that generates um, um, some magnetic signals that the elect- that the that the coil uh, in, the FMR, in the MRI machine can, can pick up. But we're getting we're getting way away from yeah. you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> well, let, mean, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm not a I'm not a huge expert. I mean, I've learned it a couple of times. Uh, like, well, what's the the exact physics of of how MRI works? And I keep forgetting. Uh, <laughs> but I, I know that, that because it-
0: your job is more to actually design the experiments and interpret the results rather than to operate the machinery. And
2: yeah, yeah. So, so what 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 you need to know in order to understand fMRI results is to know what what the signal is coming from, which is the uh, you know the 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 um, expanding vessels, the blood vessels in an area whenever whenever an area has been activated. So basically, there is a three minutes delay, a three seconds delay. Sorry, of um, showing you that there was some activity in this region. Um, okay, that is larger than than the usual
0: than so, average. So I. I- I think let, we can circle back in a bit and like go, go back to your earlier research and what your research is now, but I'd like to jump straight in with the stuff that you did with me, because you, you were involved in a study that combined the two, the two halves of your life, as a stand-up comedian, but also as a neuroscientist. Right. You, you got me and a whole bunch of other comedians and people from the improv world into investigate how, which parts of the brain are involved in coming up with humor and coming up with jokes,
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I've I've noticed that that nobody has. So, so there have been some studies that looked into what goes on in the brain when people look at funny things, you know, when they when they enjoy comedy. But there there have not been studies that look at what goes on in the brain when you try to come up with a funny idea, you know, the actual generation or the crea- creation process. And and the w- general wisdom was that it would be too difficult to do because it's a very spontaneous, uh, you know, random event. And in order to see anything with a MRI, you would have to have multiple events that um, occur in, around the same kind of timeline, and, and you have to average them out to see anything significant beyond the noise of the activity in the brain in general. So, uh, So the idea was, well, I live in Los Angeles. I know all those comedians. Some of them, you know, are very good at improvising, like Matt, and others, you know, are like improv comedians that you know um their job is to come up with funny ideas on cue uh, at a specific, specific specific time timeline so so that that would allow us to do what was presumably impossible before to have a lot of events of coming up with a funny idea and to average them to see the brain activity associated with that
0: so the experiment you had me do and i'm i'm going to probably get some of these details wrong so please jump in and correct mm-hmm. me but i remember i had to i went into into the mri scanner and I had a keypad that I could operate while I was there. And you showed various sort of New Yorker cartoons, right. or like th- those kind of cartoons, but without the caption. And the job I had to do at various times was to, depending on what the cue what, what the different cue was, what it asked me of, I had to either come up with what I thought was a funny caption for this picture. Or the two controls, I believe, were I sometimes had to come up with a non-funny caption, so something that's was pretty des- descriptive or mundane, mm-hmm. and then sometimes just had to come up with no, just don't think of a caption at all.
2: Yeah, you remember very well.
0: So there so then you were then seeing what like which bits of my brain light up when I'm trying to think of something mundane, when I'm trying to think of nothing, and then when I'm trying to actively come up with a humorous idea for this thing.
2: Yeah, that that was... Uh, so, so looking at those contrasts, yeah, exactly. So uh, it, with fMRI, what you typically look at is, is contrast because, for example, if you wanted to see activity for... If, if you wanted to see what goes on in the brain when you enjoy something funny and you show people funny pictures, then you're going to see activity in the visual areas because you're looking at pictures, right? So you want to show a, con- a contrast. So show them some not funny pictures versus funny pictures that are similar, and then the contrast would give you perhaps... Um, something more specific to what you're looking at, what you're trying to look at for uh, something more specific to uh, to humor, in this case. So, so in in the in the experiment that that we've done, um, that you participated in, we we looked at the the contrast between trying to come up with a funny idea versus trying to come up with a mundane uh, caption to the same kind of image. Yeah.
0: So, like the the sort of mundane one, just as an example, I'm sure most people are understanding what's going on, but. One of them you try and come up with a joke description, and the other one you'd be like, just you know, uh, can you hand me that book or whatever? Just something that it's relates two to
1: cavemen, uh Yeah,
0: pointing at a rock, and one thing. like nice rock look, look or at the whatever." Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> something that just something that is true to the world of the image, but isn't a joke although that's again tricky was, because that's a, almost funny that's what
1: i was about what i was gonna uh, ask is like i think if you tried to write a really unfunny new yorker uh caption it, it could end up being it could end up being good, accidentally non-joke. funny yeah
2: yeah well, like the images i i selected were specifically ones that were not funny to begin with which yeah. had a lot of comedians complain about because it, it's harder to write something i funny, remember but, finding
0: yeah. it quite challenging and also i just remember thinking that's not the kind of Writing that comes easiest to me, like it, um, like when I was writing on Comedy Knockout, which is a panel show in mm. America. Um, sometimes we had to do come up with funny captions for a picture for the for the show, and that was all, I always found that a harder round to write for than the one that was like write twenty punchlines to this verbal setup. Mm. Um, and like I, I don't know, but it you know they're different. That's you have to have certain restrictions with it that might be if someone were to do another follow-up experiment it might be fun to do one where there's a verbal setup and you have to come up with either neutral neutral lines or no lines or a funny punchline.
2: right like the, yeah that, that that i mean there are many i guess experiments you can you can follow up experiments you can do that uh would 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 differentiate between you know uh, whenever you do something uh, an experiment is in psychology in general definitely uh, when it comes to humor there are so many dimensions yeah to the process that that it's very hard to control for everything
0: exactly i mean like we've even anyone who's tried to come up with some overarching idea of what humor even is there's so many different i know, I know various people have got close and we've had some people on the show who've talked mm-hmm. about it but there are so many different types of humor different ways of constructing so many different ways of constructing jokes i wonder whether i do wonder whether my brain would have fired up differently if it was trying to construct a verbal joke compared to trying to construct a visual punchline or what
2: so so definitely you would have uh, areas that are specific to vision uh more activated when you try to come up with a joke that is based on something visual mm-hmm. and and uh, areas that are more linguistics if you try to come up with pan uh with, with a pun but uh you do see. I think the the, the the temporal regions activation is is probably uh, common to trying to come up with any kind of joke, uh-huh. and I think the reason is because th- this is this is where remote associations can converge meaningfully, and I think. In order to generate most jokes, you would need to uh, put together some remote associations in a meaningful way.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I we, this is, we, I've, I've sort of started jumping ahead, but we should talk about what you actually discovered from your experiments. Because, yeah, that, that makes sense with my understanding of, at its most basic, most jokes are in some way or another some way of rationalizing two incongruous ideas. Or like so, some finding some way of making something illogical or some non connection be a logical connection.
2: Right. I mean that's that's the incongruity yep. uh, resolution theory, right? Of, uh-huh. or, yeah. Of. Um, or connecting or connecting to just
0: finding a connection between two previously unconnected concepts.
2: Right. Right. So so connecting. I mean, you probably have. Uh, as as good of a, of a theory of it as me, but but yeah, but I think putting together two ideas, shifting this uh, shifting the script, or or uh, uh making sense of something that didn't make sense, all of them seem to to perhaps describe the same thing, right? Uh, process, yeah. And and I mean,
0: sorry, go for it.
1: Uh, you were saying you were theorizing before doing this that that was going to mean that the temporal lobe was going to be activated a lot in people, or what was your hypothesis before doing?
2: Uh well we we did have that hypothesis but based on previous studies we already done that looked into uh passive humor appreciation just looking at funny things and, and so so you do see that um that those regions are more activated when you find things funnier um so the the thinking was they might also be involved in the generation of funny things
1: and was that the results
2: Yeah so so you do see um you do see temporal activation um, uh, being more strong uh, when you try to come up with a funny idea compared to when you try to come up with a mundane caption. It's also stronger uh, prior to coming up with funnier captions. So like the how how much activation you see in this region predicts how, f- uh, how funny the uh, subsequent caption is actually going to be. Oh. Oh, that's right. Because one another part of it was you asked us to rate
0: how funny we thought the thing we came up with was
2: exactly, and and that, that is true based on your own rating, but also on based on independent ratings of of uh, people of of the captions you came up with. So so lo- looking at the uh, temporal activity at the beginning of the process of trying to come up with a funny idea before you actually have it uh, yet, um, that would predict independent traders ratings of the caption you ultimately came up with that's interesting can you
1: say that i I didn't quite follow that
2: so we would uh
0: just to be clear because i I remember you asked uh, after the experiment you asked if we could remember any of the captions we came up with and i can only remember some of them because obviously it's just a whole run in a row and you can't bring a pen and paper into an mri scanner um wait Oh, like a pencil, though, but maybe not with
1: one of those little uh, metal things around <laughs> yeah. the eraser, right?
0: But, uh, but you know, even still, it's like it's almost impossible to write stuff down because you're in a tube and you're okay. lying on your back. Yeah. Uh, you basically have a keypad that you can just about move, you can touch with your fingers. But afterwards, so afterwards, when the people could remember their captions, you then showed the- those captions to an independent second group and asked them to rate how funny they found them. Exactly. And the ones that generally rated higher. Corresponded with more of a temporal lobe activation in the in the
2: subjects. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so activation in temporal lobe at the beginning of the of the trial, at the beginning of the process of trying to come up with a funny idea, predicted, um, you know, with this, on average how funny so, the people independent writers would write that's the really to read. That's really
0: interesting. So, on average, like if you looked at the, if you were to look at just my scan. And you had a list of all the captions I came up with, and you you found, like, the three hot points where my temporal lobe flashed the most before I came up with a caption. Those, on average, were likely to be the ones that the independent people found the funniest. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: And can I be a stand-in for the audience and also admit my ignorance of brain regions? I've tried so many times to learn the various parts and what they what everyone thinks they do, and I have the benefit of looking at Wikipedia right now, so that's the only reason I can tell you where the temporal lobe even is, but... um can you walk us through what other regions do just like some of the big picture yeah
2: and what the temporal lobe does when it's not coming up with jokes as well sure the temporal lobe is a big place to begin with i mean so so there are different things that are happening there including there is like uh, some just processing of auditory stimuli and you know what have you Uh, but but there are some certain regions within the temporal lobe uh, in the frontal parts of it first of all the temporal lobe is located next to the temples uh, next to the ears that, that's oh okay um, just in case geographically speaking uh, that's but, a good
0: way of remembering mm-hmm. it from now on
2: uh, but uh, the, the the regions in within the temporal lobe that we're talking about are, are relatively in the front of the temporal lobe um, and those regions are ones in which information converges from multiple areas of the brain, so there's like a high convergence of information, which allows it to do um, convergence of remote associations in a meaningful way, so it allows you to to connect things. Um, and um, one more finding we had was that if you compare professional comedians to amateurs and controls, the more experience and or talent um you have with comedy the more activity you see in this temporal lobe um you do see the reverse effect uh, in the prefrontal cortex medial prefrontal cortex which um is the other region that uh, we can uh, uh, the other main region so so medial prefrontal cortex have been um is it, basically in the front of the brain it's like right in the, the behind your nose if you will a little bit higher than that but yeah and uh, and that's that region has been activated in any kind of creative task so if you look at studies that look into improvising rap and to writing poetry and all kinds of stuff the only region that seemed to be activated in common to all of those creative tasks is the medial prefrontal cortex um but I think of it as more of the conductor of the orchestra of of creativity rather than the the orchestra itself rather than the the creative process itself, and one of the reasons I, I think so is is when you look when you compare uh, professional comedians to amateurs and controls, the more experience or, or talent you have doing comedy, the less activity you see in the medial prefrontal cortex uh, when you come up with a funny idea. Sort of less inhibition and more free flowing of the actual
1: creation from the temporal, or you, you got like, it, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: The less sort of shepherding it needs, and exactly, get it, get, get out of your head, sort of, you know. Is situation. that
1: also what's inhibited or dulled when you with various substances like alcohol? Is is that part of the reason that people?
2: Yeah, get- it's it, it's definitely. Can be dulled by by certain uh, by alcohol and similar. Mm-hmm. So that that I haven't thought about it, but that definitely could be a mechanism. If if people have trouble um, letting go or, or getting out of their head, that might help with the generation of of. Uh, but that but then I mean, it is still the case that the medial prefrontal does uh, does do a, an, a function uh, of of during the creative process, even if you are an expert, even if you are very good. Uh, which is we, perhaps helping the directing the the creative process uh, in in a certain way, as opposed to just letting the associations flow randomly uh, without without aim. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you know, so if you take too much uh, alcohol or whatever, or if you if you uh, completely uh, inhibit activity in this region, you would probably end up. Uh, Coming up with um, with something that is less coherent or, or useful, drunk history style.
1: Maybe. Yeah, well
0: that, <laughs> that that again sort of tallies with the idea of a small amount of alcohol maybe or, or other intoxicants re- releasing a certain amount of creativity, but then o- over a certain amount, then it becoming prohibitive. And
2: yeah, yeah. So and and I, I guess for me, I, I don't I don't find uh, I find that I'm already too scattered minded so I feel like any kind of any kind of drugs that inhibit medial prefrontal cortex for me um, make me do worse yeah (laughs) I gotta
0: say I'm generally I've got friends who can perform hammered and do a magnificent job I don't I don't know whether it's my own worry or whatever but I like to be stone
2: cold sober on stage Uh, yeah well I've been I've been sober all throughout Burning Man so
1: uh, (laughs) I forgot you went which which years did you go to Burning Man Uh, just two years
2: ago yeah Uh, once um, what do you think? It was was incredible. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> People are oh, you did it sober. How did you do? It? Well, how what it's like? No, I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. You want to kind of be able to process it fully, and to process it fully, I think it's better to be sober. I mean, I've been I've been on 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 substances in other festivals but i uh yeah
1: I yeah moshe kasher has gone for like 16 years in a row sober every year he's been sober since he was a teenager so huh. still goes every year yeah
0: yeah i think it's it's one of those things you can you don't have like you say if, if something's already a spectacle if something's already visually impressive you don't necessarily need to be hammered or high <laughs> to kind of find it visually impressive
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a good. You want to you want to be able to fully process it, maybe sometimes. You you weren't there with part with
1: any of the groups that were doing, um, like, is it Caltech adjacent? That one group that did um, one year, they were trying to do something that was EEG related. They had a giant brain shaped car, and they were trying to have the parts of it light up that corresponded to the activity of somebody who was wearing like an EEG sensor. Was that going on the year you were there or not? I think they called it the phage. It was related to the group that did the giant um, musical Tesla coil did I, we interview i don't know
0: yeah I, yeah I remember those guys um Foxy, there's a lot of different science groups yeah, were you expensive. there with a science group at all or were you just there with friends
2: i came by myself uh, had i known there are science groups i would have avoided them but... <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to have fun here at Demetown. they were good people though, they <laughs> were yeah, but, uh, yeah. if you do it every day for your job as well yeah i want to just you know be you know it's a kind of like colleagues who so have to be like more you know, restricted and what whatnot next to colleagues and you want to, you want to express this, you want to take advantage of the uh, um, allowance for self-expression that you have there. And that's a good yeah. point. Yeah.
1: yeah. I wanted to ask about um, the, you didn't talk about which side of the, which left versus right temporal lobes, was there any uh, correlation to people's expectations about, you know, People think that left-handed people are more creative because they use their right side of their brain more. Or what, is there
2: any credence to that? Or, um, so not quite. Um, so, so what what you find is that when when people engage in anything creative, uh, you do see um, uh, activity that is more both-sided, if it makes sense, or bilateral is the the scientific mm-hmm. term. But so so you do see more equal activity in both sides. Whereas if you do something that is more um, uh, routine, especially if it's language related, uh, you would typically see more activity, um, the activity would be more lateralized to the left. Okay. Um so so you you do need you do need the help of both sides when you come up with something creative, but it's not it's not like the left side is uh is not active. I mean it's if anything is even more active, but the right side tend to give a more equitable contribution.
1: Okay. So that's kind of an overblown myth that you can say that one side's analytical and one's creative.
2: Yeah, I would say. I think I think the the, the contribution of the right side is allowing you to um to hold multiple meanings at the same at the same time as uh, so using both sides allow you to do that whereas uh, i mean if I, it, the, the what what you do find is that the left side is where language tend to to live mm-hmm. so you know if you um if brain damage to the right side typically doesn't doesn't harm your ability to talk as much it might um harm your ability to maybe understand uh, certain metaphors or humor or whatever, but not, not the basics. The basics are in the left, you know, the mm-hmm. basic language capacity. So if if uh, you have damage to certain regions of your left uh, left hemisphere, uh, you're screwed in terms of... Language. Yeah. Did you notice
1: any difference in terms of handedness of the subjects in the comedy
2: test or not? Um, so... I, I there there is a disproportionate amount I think of of uh, of comedians who are um, who are uh, left-handed I'd say so it could be I mean there might be something to it I don't know I mean we we try to uh, we haven't been very successful but we try to 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 either choose only participants who are right-handed for the experiments or try to make it even so the controls have the same amount of uh, or the same proportion of of uh, left-handed versus right-handed uh, individuals um but also because we haven't done a terribly good job at, uh, for controlling um uh, of this aspect uh, in the control of this aspect um that that I don't want to draw any strong conclusion <laughs> okay, I about. Uh, about i to force you to. No, it's fine. Saying. It's fine. But 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 you do you just the effects I've seen seem to be very um uh, very much the same on both sides sides of the brain. Okay,
0: so. that's interesting. So I, I forgot about yeah the other you mentioned this earlier the other aspect of the controls. So you had the controls with the people inside the MRI where you had the funny caption, non-funny caption no caption at all, but you also control for it by having a mixture of professional slash experienced comedians and then did you have like amateur comedians
2: and not comedians? Exactly, yeah uh yeah so so I've, I've kind of I've kind of mentioned it without explaining before but but yeah we we, uh, we had uh, something like 13 uh, professional comedians uh you guys were split into into professional stand-ups and professional improv uh, comedians uh-huh. and then and then um we also had amateurs you know just open uh that I know which who I think, have potential of becoming professional in the future. So, right. so it's kind of like try, I'm trying to make it an effect of expertise as, as opposed to an effect of uh, of talent in the, in this case. But this is just experience. So those people have the potential, I think, to eventually if they work hard or whatever and be, right. lucky, be lucky or whatever it is. That makes sense. So you pick yeah.
0: people who are funny open micers but not, don't have... A decade plus of experience exactly. but aren't the kind of open micers who are just crazy people shouting at a wall <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like and then and then you also had as the third control people with no experience
2: or desire to, to perform comedy exactly yeah and and the controls I, I chose were uh were graduate were mostly like graduate students uh and, and there is a logic to it because uh, you do find that the professional, the successful comedians, um, almost always have uh, a high intelligence, so uh, and they're experts on something in this case, it's comedy, but and, and so, and so, I felt like uh, uh, graduate students instead of just giving people IQ tests, you know, just choose people we know have uh, say similar IQ to comedians, and then, um, and then you know, but but they're just and are experts. and are also
0: experts, but in a different field. Exactly. So
2: someone who has the potential to
0: be to gather expertise or the ability to gather and hone expertise.
1: Um, so how do you, how does one politely ask their friend to take part in an experiment because uh, you consider them one of the least funny people you know. <laughs>
2: It's not. It's not like a funniness. It's just uh, you don't have experience doing comedy. Uh-huh. But, but but people who uh, <laughs> so I, di- I didn't I didn't select people who I where I thought okay this person is definitely not funny. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, I mean maybe I, maybe the experiment would have been better if I did. But
0: uh, I feel like if you're a grad student in anything involved in either the neuroscience or psychology <laughs> departments, you are cons- you're continually doing tests like you. Like it feels like everyone who is an anywhere student in any of those kind of worlds are just like you are the go to test subjects for every
2: yeah. PhD student and postgrad. Yeah, yeah. So so we we're used to, to do each like, other's experiments anyway. So Like how so, many
0: did you get roped? How many how many times do you reckon in your life you've been a test subject?
2: Uh for MRI or
0: anything. For anything.
2: I don't know. Maybe about um just going to throw a number seventy four. <laughs> so precise. And there's no risk to doing
1: a lot of to being in an MRI for a long time or to having a lot of exposure, or is there?
0: No MRI's, and this is one I think I know because I, I actually covered MRIs on yeah. how to build. But MRI's are considered pretty much safe, aren't they? Like they're they're not. It's non-ion ionizing. It's just magne- It's a magnetic field rather than any kind of ionizing
2: radiation. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So as as far as we understand the technology and have like 20, de, uh, 20 years of experience with it, there is no no detrimental effect of of being exposed. I mean, yeah. I've been I've been exposed to like tens of MRI studies, and look at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: and not only that, I got a. I think legally, if you are a test subject in a s in an experiment as an MRI thing, they then have to use that you have to show my brain scan. To uh, a radiographer, oh, sorry, radiologist rather, yeah, yeah, who then looks at it.
1: A- what? Oh, in case just to, to, to they conf- found something yeah, so you they, should know about?
0: So, yeah, a radiologist looked at my brain scan, so I got an email set from Ori a week or so later going, uh, just by the way, you don't
1: have brain cancer. Congrats. <laughs> oh, so it's sort of like donating blood to get like a, a free STD test or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the, the responsible reason to donate yeah. blood. <laughs> I don't want to be seen in the clinic, and I, I want a free cookie yeah.
2: and to know I'm clean. <laughs> So um, it's not. It's not the the legal issue is is that me as a scientist who have a situation where one of is not a doctor. He's not legally allowed to kind of diagnose anything. Exactly, uh, and uh, and so, um, and so the the thing is, um, w- there have been those situations before. Uh, and we we wanted to have uh, to have the ability to tell participants uh, that if they have something so, we decided to just send the scans to make it a policy of the of the of the lab to just send the scans to a radiologist and the radiologist would contact if this is something weird. Now, it, it, this what, was at
0: USC by the way this is where this okay. experiment was happening
2: yeah. one caveat is that the quality of those of those um, scans is not superb so you know um, it, there could be better quality scans for medical purposes if you, if you thought you have to but, but it's good enough like if you had something huge you would have found it you know right?
0: yeah because you're not looking for tumors or whatever you're looking for activity and movement over time so that you're not of the whole brain area
2: uh, yes, yeah, so, but 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 the the one you send the radiologist is actually a structural scan. So so we do do a, a two structural scans in the beginning. We just get the structure of the brain, and then we uh, superimpose the activity on the structure. Um, so one of the structural scans is just good for radiology purposes, it's good, and one is good for for our purposes of of just um, getting the the, the the you know the, the structure of the 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 sulci and the gyri and you know whatever like the shape of the brain so we could superimpose the activity on it
0: okay so what what does it mean for the person who has who only had half a cerebellum um i mean it seemed all right i was gonna say like presumably (laughs) if if you were using that person as a test subject they would and they were unaware of that in the in the
2: past then the the brain must have adapted to deal with whatever so so if that was the only problem that would have been fine. But uh, the question is whether it's some something that is happening that changes the brain or is it you know, there's right. some ongoing process that is causing that or or there's just something the person always had. So if it's something the person always always had it's probably not a issue because they seem to be alright with it. It might make them a good participant in other studies that are interested in brain damage but not but it's not um yeah, a, a danger to the person's health.
0: Interesting. What were your sort of takeaway conclusions from that study? Like, what what do you think has been added to the scientific literature to the canon now as a result of that
2: experiment? What do we now know from what you did? So, so I think there is a greater insight uh, into the creativity process in general, uh, and um, and then and then into to humor creation in specific um well the creativity in general what you see as i've mentioned before uh, in common to all uh, creative endeavors is that uh, you seek uh, um greater activity in the medial prefrontal cortex whenever you try to create something to come up with uh, original ideas um uh, but but that activity does not seem to to be the thing that generates the the ideas. It seemed to be just the conductor of the orchestra so um so indeed when you, the more the more experience you have doing comedy um the less activity you see in the medial prefrontal cortex when you try to come up with a funny idea and also um, it, it does not predict how funny the joke is going to be subsequently. So, so that doesn't seem to be... Uh, in the case of humor, it seems to be that the region is a... Temp- the temporal regions seem to be the, the region that the ge- uh, that generate the associations uh, during the construction of the joke. Cool. Uh, in other uh, in other creative endeavors, it might be different regions. You know, in improvising rap, it would be uh, language areas and uh, things of that nature, but... Um, so for the the lowest comedy
1: group or the like the, the control I know you said they weren't totally the, the non the non non-com- comedian group yeah because
0: it, again it's not it's not really a ranking of how funny the people are it's the ranking <laughs> much, it a ranking of how much how much of their life they've dedicated towards the idea of creating humor whether it's a couple of years in the case of the open micers or many years in the pros or zero in the case of the the grad students who aren't comics at all
1: right so when those people were writing what they wanted to be the funniest punchlines or captions did you see activity in the same regions just less of it or was the activity spread out to different regions or what what was the difference between those and and the professional comedians
2: Um, so so you do see activity in the same regions as the comedians but the the difference is in magnitude so so you see uh, the the less experience you have doing comedy, the less activity you see in temporal regions, but the more activity you see in medial prefrontal regions. So you have less of these those spontaneous spontaneous generation of associations uh, in those high-level semantic regions in the temporal re, uh, cortex, uh, and, and you see less, uh, you see more activity in the trying to just control the process and direct it.
1: Interesting. And if any of those people did happen upon really funny, as judged by the people, really funny captions, did those correlate with times that they're prefrontal was less uh active or their temporal was more active or
2: uh, no this effect was was uh, just it uh, was more coherent with the professional comedians and less so with uh,
1: no matter whether they stumbled on i, d- I didn't know if maybe yeah. sometimes even the layperson stumbles on a great joke and that did but, but again record. again, again i feel like it's
0: more I, I, I could be wrong about this but i'm very i am but feels like the more experienced you are at comedy not just the better you are at coming up with funny stuff, but the better of an idea you have when a, when a joke is about to form or the bet, the more, I guess it, I guess it's the same as like, if you're a really experienced athlete, like a, a really good golfer probably knows almost knows before the, they hit, they make contact that this is a good one or like, or, or a kicker, like, Oh, I, I know I've hit this sweetly. I don't even need to look. It's
2: going between the posts. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, I, I concur. I, I, I mean, your interpretation is as good as mine, but I think that that's um, a good a good interpretation of the, this result. Um, so, what are you? Are you continuing this work now, or have you moved on to a new area of study? Uh, I moved on, so I'm, I'm not doing as much. I'm, I've done. I've done some MRI studies last year where we scanned. We scanned. Um, People, uh, people uh, like Republicans and Democrats' brains, bef- uh, while watching anti-Trump and anti-Clinton ads before the election, uh-huh. you know, trying to predict uh, the, what they would end up voting for, which is not analyzed yet and might ah. take forever to analyze. <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: give us a hint. What do you think happened? I, mean,
2: <laughs> I, I honestly, I have no idea. I mean, I can, I can guess. Um, I, okay, so my guess would be that that. Uh, so, so what you try to predict is the undecided voters, right? So, so you can you can look at the temporal pattern of activity during the watching of anti-Trump and anti-Clinton ads, and uh, in certain regions perhaps that are associated with moral perceptions, or you know because most of those ads tend to be uh, to criticize them on morality, or um, and. Um, and to the extent that those this temporal pattern is similar to a uh, Republicans' reaction, you uh, you might expect the undecided that that undecided voter to vote for a Republican or to vote for Trump. Uh, whereas it's more similar to a Democrat uh, temporal pattern of activation, you you might expect them to be more likely to vote for um, Clinton. Okay, um, but you know it it's been it's it's a so much so much in this experiment and there's so much data and I'm I'm so occupied with other stuff right now that uh, hopefully it will come out eventually so what what's the what's the new stuff you're working on uh, I'll tell you what I'm excited about and I want to work on and haven't got a chance in the past five years yet but I want I want to work on uh, some ideas with the artificial intelligence of humor creation Uh uh-huh. so like um, so, so, so there are two thoughts there um one um, okay, so the old the killer app for for uh, for humor generating, and I think that's AI complete. That's like you know, like proper joke writing would only happen when they can do everything else we can do, basically. So I feel like that's the last one of one of the last professions that. This is going to yes, be replaced safe. Yeah. Yeah. for a and, and, five to ten years yeah yeah something like this and and, and honestly i mean i mean I, I i don't want i mean it's not it's not something i want to happen i mean the motivation for me to i mean ai in general maybe you know it, it's going to happen anyway so it might as well happen in a good way as opposed to a, 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 a you know a dangerous way but in terms of I, i'm not like trying to replace comedians or something like that i'm just trying to understand the process of of, uh, of constructing a joke better or like the what humor is better so i think that's a fun exercise uh, to do in the pursuit of this understanding um, and i don't think i'm I'm going to be effective enough anyway to make any any serious impact on uh, any serious dent in terms of the the progress of that um, but so, so two ideas so what I think would be the killer app of of humor um, of humor generation uh, AI would be uh, like something like Google Translate that can you, you give it a serious statement and it translates it to a humorous statement that says the same thing so oh I think, interesting I feel like okay we want to say, you want to say that the Russians are corrupt you know it's just and it it kind of it to uh, um and so- that almost is my job right now
1: <laughs>
0: i mean that's pretty much exactly my job that you're looking to replace <laughs> like like literally right now i sit in an office uh the jim jeffrey show and we we read the news and we try and find a funny way of re-saying it <laughs> like
1: that's like <laughs> and by the way we made our, one of our listeners made a very uh crude <laughs> version of this i mean you wouldn't call it intelligence at all but did we, we- did this come up last week or last not? week we, oh, we plugged the
0: uh yeah the dennis miller bot
1: <laughs> we have a hmm. uh listener at mark j on twitter created a uh, mac j isn't it mac j mac j created a basically a, a dennis miller style uh random reference generator It just <laughs> pulls together some obscure names that he's used in other like past jokes or when he was an NFL commentator and uh just applies an adjective and it's very dumb but it's like it unintentionally makes great Dennis Miller style reference jokes
2: yeah uh, yeah i feel like uh, they've done a very good um deepak chopra uh, but uh, oh i, feel like they, I think they, you can't that. tell them apart <laughs> at least i can't yeah. like, that's really funny
0: i got to look that up um yeah while you, while you look that up i've got i I wasn't going to talk about things from last week uh, because people have been sent emailing us, probably science at gmail.com with stories, questions, comments, clarifications as they often do and as we very much like. But often when we've got a scientist on and we're talking about their work, we don't normally get to that stuff. But last week there was one subject we were talking about that is related to the brain. And so I figured why the, why the hell not? We Both of them... Um, so we were talking about both face blindness and aphantasia, which is the lack of a visual imagination. Yeah, which I had only very recently heard of, but uh, apparently a few people we know have it. Uh, so we got two different messages through: one tweet and one email. And um, so Kate at Blithery Poop on Twitter said, "I have aphantasia and mild uh, to moderate face blindness." I recognize myself in the mirror, but if I change my hair, it can take me a moment to understand my reflection. I fail to recognize relatives with hats on. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) Uh, And then also, uh, Louisa Primo, who said, Hey guys, I'm sure you received thousands of emails about this already, but I want to share my experience. Nope. Literally one email Mm -hmm. and one tweet. (laughs) But aphantasia is not that rare, but it wasn't until one guy realized that other people could actually see things in their heads we were all thinking it was just something metaphorical people said. Uh, Right. Yeah, which I guess it is. It's like, you know, that's what happened to my friend Carey, where, you know, he'd read all these descriptions of people talking about, like, picturing something in their head, and just go, oh, they're just using floral poetic language to describe the way you see the word that means car in your head. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. um, Then Louisa goes on, um, I tried to explain it this way. Can you conjure the smell of perfume in your head? Can you can you conjure the smell of perfume in your head? Some people can do that, others can't. Can you guys do that? I think I can. I
1: think I can... I'm trying right now, and I'm not
0: sure. I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not, and I'm going to have to really try, try this.
2: Try to imagine it in the context of somebody who remembers smell, or, like, the... Yeah, it's hard to, I think to I can imagine sm- it in isolation. I think I
0: can smell a specific, like, air freshener scent. I think I can I think I think can imagine that.
1: I don't think I can do it. I don't know.
0: Uh, Aphantasia, she goes on. Uh, Aphantasia is the... S- is the same with images. We just, we it's just the same can't. As that, but with images, instead exactly. Of right. uh, it goes for all senses. I, for one, have nothing inside my head, <laughs> so I can't even conjure sounds. This, I love this email, by the way. Everything in my head is the sound of my own voice. So if I try to think of a cat meowing, it's actually me meowing. <laughs> uh, no wonder I'm the absolute worst with animal sounds and accents. I can't do anything.
1: I didn't realize there were people like that. Like I, I never understood why yeah. some people have, you know seemingly like complete pitch uh, tone deafness you know Uh, yeah i don't hear what's happening and you can't just repeat i'm bad well i think i presume
0: louisa can can recognize can recognize sounds just as very bad at conjuring them Uh, louisa says uh, i hope this clears up a little if you have if you have further questions i'll be happy trying to explain them so if anyone does have more questions email them and we'll pass them on but uh also is that a joke
1: name or not is that a louis prima reference or is louisa primo really i don't know okay I don't know. I, I'm guessing real, but
0: who it's knows? Just that Sorry,
1: it's, uh, yeah. or USA.
2: Yeah, as as you were saying, uh, uh, be, being unable to imagine something uh, like a face or or a, a sound uh, versus being in, unable to distinguish them is a, is a is a separate is a separate kind of uh, uh, deficit you you could have. Uh, we we've studied people who are phono agnostics and proso- uh, prosopagnostic prosopagnosia is when you can you're face blind. You can't recognize faces. Um, if, uh, but typically people who are process can recognize faces based on the look They can still recognize people based on the, the sound of their voice, for example
0: Right, and, uh, and like the phonognostics- people I know who have really serious versions of that Get very good at recognizing things like someone's gait The, the gait of their walk uh, and their, their style choices and things like that
2: Right, right, uh, and and phone agnostics. Uh, we also studied phone agnostics. Uh, we're on a, we were one of the few labs who who did, and these are people who can't recognize uh, people based on their voice. They typically can recognize people based on their face, but not based on their voice. And and so you know, so if you call them, they wouldn't know who it is until you say something that. That's really interesting. That also must be really confusing if you're listening to the
0: radio and you, just every voice, to voice voices just blending with each other. Like if you're trying to. If you listen to this podcast, for example, would it be impossible to tell who's Andy, who's me, who's you?
1: Have you guys seen um, um, Anomalisa? I don't know if I actually have that's kind of the premise of the movie is this character I mean this this character is in a rut and every person in his world has the same voice so there's only three voice actors in the whole it's a stop motion animated movie that oh um, I think I've seen the first half of it yeah Yeah, it's bizarre but yeah he's in a rut so everyone sounds the same until he meets one woman Lisa who has a different voice and falls in love with her because she's not the same voice as everyone
2: else so so to to your question uh, it would be harder to recognize which one of us is which but it would still uh, because it's the there's only three possibilities. You can you can use some simple feature in the voice or or right. in the cadence or whatever it is uh, to 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 tell tell those apart. So, so I
0: guess again the same as the equivalent of someone who's face blind might not if they walked into this room wouldn't necessarily go like uh, Ari, Andy, Matt, but they would be able to after us what after they've worked it out go all right now I know which one is which and right. correct for the rest of the day.
2: Right, you know because. It, I'm, I'm the one with the long hair, and you're the one with yeah. So that's so. If you looked at the F- MRI results for people with these conditions,
1: or if someone switched them up and then told you one of these people is face blind and one isn't, could you look at those? Could you predict from the scan which one
2: was? Uh, well, depends upon whether it's based. If it's based on brain damage, then that would be. Relatively easy to to tell mm-hmm. uh, because you, you you can see uh, an area is missing. Um, you know, in, in that area, the fusiform uh, face area, basically, where um, where face recognition occurs. Um, Which region is that again? Um, the, well, there there are a bunch of them, but but like the most commonly commonly damaged is the uh, the fusiform. Uh, the fusiform uh, face area. Uh, this is in the first form gyrus. It's it's uh, an area that is a part of the temporal, the temporals um like right between the temporal and occipital lobes. Uh, but it, it is it is uh, it's kind of like at the bottom at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the brain. So
1: it, would it be from an impact to, to the front of your face or something that might have done? The-
2: yeah, and that's that's in cases where, where the the uh, pro or the face blindness blindness is a result of actual brain damage. Uh-huh. So uh, most of the times it's actually you're born this way, and so you don't see brain damage. just this then then it would be harder to to tell based on a scan. Perhaps you would see, if if they're doing a particular task. You might be able to see to see differences mm-hmm. in activation, or if you look at um, s- certain types of scans where they look at the density of of, uh, of fibers in in different regions, then then you might see some difference. But but it will be harder to tell. It's not like a whole area, whole area is missing. It's just not know? working.
1: Oh, okay. And uh. it, I still don't. I can't wrap my head around like what it means to be face blind because it seems like. It's a collection of shapes, like any other collection of shapes. Why can't they just apply the same pattern matching they would to other I, shapes? I guess. You know what
0: I mean. I, well, I, I, again, please, as as the expert in this, stop, stop me if I'm wrong, but it feels like like they still recognize every face as a face.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is so, it-
0: so the bit that would go like, "That's a guitar, that's a lamp, that's a face."
1: But those two <laughs> guitars have both have six strings, both have holes in the middle so the, you could maybe say that the differences between those are as subtle as the differences between two faces could they also not tell those two guitars apart
2: no like, uh, they will be able to tell the guitars apart because the the way you tell the guitars apart and the way you tell faces apart is very is very different the, the, and well, I have to tell you, I mean, we, we, are, we have a, a certain position about it in the lab, in our lab, and, and we feel very strongly about it that, that faces are different. There is this unique mechanism for recognizing faces that is distinct from recognizing other objects some other labs may disagree with us. Oh. So some other labs will be on your Controversy. side. I think we won. I think we won the debate. <laughs> I think we've provided overwhelming evidence to that effect. But, uh, Can so, you give me so an intuitive
1: a, reason for why it is?
2: Or is it not that simple? I think Matt got intuition right. It, it seems like um, so. so the, the type of, of features you, you look at for distinguishing objects that are not faces uh, tend to be um, what we call non-accidental features. So, so the kind of features that would not Change when you look at it from different points of uh, different views. So, for example, um, because because your your retina is two-dimensional and the, the projection of of the stuff you're looking at, you know, the real world is three-dimensional. So it's projection projection two-dimensional. It tends to vary with uh, angle angle that you're looking at things. So a curved line could become, could change in, or if something has an edge and the edge is curved, the curvature of the edge would would change on your two-dimensional uh, projection on the retina depending upon the angle at which you look at it, but uh, whether it's straight or curved, will remain constant. Or So these are kind of non-accidental properties. Or you know whether there is a spot uh, on the guitar, or there is a, you know some feature on it that is different. So whether somebody has a mustache or not, yeah, face-blind people can, can tell the part. But the thing about faces is that they don't have any of those non-accidental features, and then you have to rely on a completely different mechanism um, uh, because faces all have noses and and eyes and Wait, all that because stuff. They,
1: because they don't have the not non occidental you're saying
2: yeah the, Those... all, all of the all of the variations in faces are are um in in small uh, this what we call metric or you know. Uh, uh, this this part is a little longer. This part is a little wider, or whatever. So it's it's basically it's more subtle than I'm giving it credit for because I'm so used to being able to see exactly, the, the yeah. Differences and, or- and so and so there is a whole different mechanism in the brain that is responsible for that. And in fact, this is something that computers uh, found easier to do historically. So uh, object recognition in an image only recently has been more or less perfected. But the ability of computers to recognize Face as, as long as the image is of good resolution and has uh, oh. been has been around for a long so,
0: time. So it's easier for a computer has it's tr- been traditionally easier for a computer once it knows a thing is a face to go. This is Andy's face. This is Ori's face. This is my this is Matt's right. face. Than it is for a computer to look at an image and go. This is a guitar because because th- all these different things with all these different things that are different shapes, sizes, and colors. Uh, have an inherent guitarness to them. Exactly. Yes. So but this this has an inherent chairness to it, even though there's twenty different th- there's wildly different things that count as a chair.
2: And it's almost a rule of thumb of artificial intelligence is whenever whenever humans find something more difficult, computers probably would find it easier, and vice versa. it's, uh, it's, oh, not, yeah. it's not always That's the called, case, but
1: like the reason why we, it's, we've had a, a chess computer that can beat. The best human, but we can't. But making one that has like the motor coordination of a toddler is super difficult. Like the things yeah. that are most innate to us are hardest for computers and the most recently developed. What's there's a name for that? It's some law. I uh, forgot what it.
0: That, uh, yeah, I guess that things that involve just high calculation sort of things that have involve sort of almost like a hunch or like a almost esoteric idea are very hard for computers and very easy for humans and things that involve high calculation are very easy for computers and very hard for humans
2: yeah almost if you can kind of track the process if you can if you are conscious of the process of what you are of your, of your thinking then it's probably something a computer can do whereas if it's something that just come to you it's probably involve a much more complicated process that it will be harder for a computer to replicate for example, vision, like object re- object recognition, or vision in general, it takes um, a third to a half of our cortex, uh, and and y- y- it comes very easy to you. You right. don't think it's a very difficult. Uh, in fact, uh, M- Marvin Minsky, like one of the founders of of AI, I think in the seventies, he had a summer student, and he told the student. Uh, Oh, you're only here for a few months, so let let me give you some some easy problem to solve. Maybe you can solve computer vision in the summer. Just just basically, we give the computer a picture, and the computer should say, okay, this is a picture of a guitar. Or and we-
0: four decades later, it's just about getting there.
1: Yeah, exactly. I found it. It's more of X paradox, which is a discovery by AI and robotics researchers that contrary to traditional assumptions, high-level reasoning re- requires very little computation, but low-level sensory motor skills require enormous computational resources.
0: Right. Which which translates into the rule of thumb that almost like, yeah, the easier a human finds it, the harder a computer, and yeah. vice versa.
1: In the yeah. words of Moravec, it's comparatively easy to make computers exhibit adult-level performance on intelligence tests or playing checkers, and difficult or impossible to give them the skills of a one-year-old when it comes to perception and mobility.
0: But
2: who needs that when you can play checkers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you can sit still and play
1: checkers. <laughs> I don't know why you use checkers instead of chess for that analogy? <laughs> because well, che-
2: chess is kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, Although yeah. this
1: was in the in the 1980s when he said it, so I guess the best. Uh, yeah, even then, like a, been beaten yet by? Yeah
0: in the in the 80s, I think every every good grandmaster could beat the best computer quite comfortably. I would have thought. Yeah, I'm 97
2: sure. was when I think when they finally got the grandmaster was finally beat it.
0: When was Deep Blue? Deep Blue Kas- Kasparov Nin- was 97. Sounds- that sounds about right. 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 Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But now, now, twenty years later, computers are substantially higher power and better programmed.
2: Yeah, and yeah. Then the thing about chess is that you, uh, masters do use uh, pattern pattern recognition along with reasoning. So it's not just reasoning, yeah. right? Yeah, chess. And, I wonder it was 96
1: how f- and 97. Yep. I wonder how far chess
2: is away from being solved.
1: From being solved
2: oh, i think I think it's the the med, the med, um this calculation that you would need to ha if you're using um uh, the whole time uh, of the universe the uh, the entire the entire the, <laughs> if you're using if you using the uh, like a huge com- uh, computer and you uh, you run it for the rest of time you still wouldn't solve it it's something like this i, I wonder know. i wonder whether that was
1: yeah by so- sorry by solving you mean like
0: checkers has now been so because it's a finite game yeah it's a finite game
1: just like gaming out every possible scenario both yeah. sides and just yeah.
0: so ch- chess like checkers like tic-tac-toe um is a finite game of of perfect information it's it's a total it's a total information game so every both players know at all times where all the pieces are and there's no element of chance involved
1: so does that mean so, if, if so, we had the infinite computation that we can never? There have, is a solution. There is there as, is, as in like we would come to the point that we would know the first player or second player always wins, or it's always a stalemate,
0: or it is always a draw. Exactly. Yeah. So like tic tac toe, for example, which is one of the easiest ones to calculate,
1: it's you, always a stalemate.
0: It, it's yeah. always a stalemate as long as both players are playing perfectly, which is pretty easy to work out. Checkers has now been solved as well. That was a few years ago. I
2: think we even covered it on the show. It was a couple of oh, years I don't ago. Oh. Where it's. I mean, chess, chess should be possible in principle to solve, but uh, but in practice, it shouldn't be possible to solve because the combinatorics is intractable, even if you assume a much greater computational capacity than we have today. Mm. So let
0: me just confirm that. Yep, checkers, checkers is now a Done. solved game. <laughs> it's such a funny concept. <laughs> it was solved. Uh, ah, no point. I'm going to throw away all of my checkers now. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually solved a while ago. Let me see. It was, um, and there's different. There's different uh, versions of solved. So a solved game is a game whose outcome, win, lose, or draw, can be correctly predicted from any position, assuming both players play perfectly. Mm. So there's different levels of whether it's solved. Ultra weak means you can prove whether the first player will win, lose, or draw from the initial position, given perfect play. Um. Weak is provide an algorithm that secures a win for one player or a draw for either against any possible moves from the opponent from the beginning of the game. And strong strong solving is provide an algorithm that, that can produce perfect moves from any position, even if mistakes have already been made on one or both sides.
1: Um, so any any game that doesn't involve chance, given enough yep. computation, could be solved strongly, right? And yeah, yeah, by the
0: way, and it says in this article, and I guess this is true, despite their name, many game theorists... Pr- believe that ultra-weak proofs are the deepest, most interesting and valuable because ultra-weak proofs require a scholar to reason about the abstract properties of the game and show how these properties lead to certain outcomes if perfect players realized. Hmm. But um, but yeah, because ch- chess is a finite game... So unlike unlike a game like poker, for example, where if I'm playing you at poker, firstly, I don't know what cards you have, you don't know what cards I have, and neither of us knows what cards are about to be turned over. That's pure chance. Hmm. So you can't make predictions in the same way but in chess from the both at the very beginning of the game and at any given point in the game everyone both players and the third party observer know where every piece is and what every possible move is done at every moment so and whatever yeah so it it is theoretically solvable
1: and someday fingers crossed uh rubik's cube i think they're gonna do it (laughs) yeah someone's gonna get it do you guys watch silicon valley
0: Oh, I, I'm not up to date to the Rubik's Cube
1: thing. This, this is a minor. It was in the background of a scene, but I almost did a spit take. It was so funny. They just cut to a scene where one of the characters is talking to Big Head, in you know, spaghetti. Yep. And he's he's just got a half dismantled Rubik's Cube. Like, you know, kids used to do that to just like take it up, uh-huh. like literally take the parts off and like put it back together to be solved. Yep. It just made me like I remember this yeah just like that character is so perfectly dumb at every turn I love it
0: <laughs> so yeah you're right there's, there's disagreement on whether the current exponential growth of computing power will continue for long enough to someday allow for solving chess by brute force i.e. by checking all possibilities uh, but in theory in theory it's possible it's definitely theoretically possible to solve chess uh, but because it is a finite game yeah, but either way, we've lost the machines of perfect information.
1: It's a little either way, of time tell everything else. By the way, uh, Ori, are, are you uh, optimistic or pessimistic in general about AI?
2: I think it's a fifty-fifty thing. Uh, so, so I mean, hopefully, it's going to end up well. But um, well, so, so, so to begin with, I think it's very certain, almost a certainty, that uh, AI would reach human levels within ten to twenty years. You know, wow. Um. And so, a big, big. A lot of smart people disagree on that too. So, so just just the fact that people disagree on, you know, like the smartest people. And some of it is is experts being like, well, I don't know how to solve this problem now, and I'm the smartest guy out there. So, you know, I don't think it will be possible in 300 years. So, some of it is, uh, I think, is arrogance or or whatever or, or narrow minded. But but I think uh, if you look at the trends, I think it's. Uh, uh, but then but then once you have it it's anybody it's anybody's guess how it's going to turn out it could right. it could end out as some kind of paradise where you know you uh we can live forever in in enhanced bodies and have our minds uploaded to the cloud and all that stuff and we don't have to do anything we don't like we spend our time you know working on on stuff we like like writing jokes and uh, but not about the news i don't know <laughs> Yeah. You can write jokes about stuff you like to write. <laughs> I don't know how
1: good audiences are when everything in life is perfect. Like how, yeah. I don't know if there are really great comedy crowds at that point. <laughs> yeah, Never maybe, experienced
0: hard. Yeah, will it just be like robots playing to robots at this point? Like, who
2: knows? Yeah, so I mean, the world would be very different. So, you know, um, but, so that, that, that's, but, but it's very possible that it's going to just end up in some kind of runaway disaster <laughs> uh, that we didn't expect. Uh, and I feel like... I feel like um, if people can't even dis- uh, can't even agree whether AI is going to, and everybody is so certain, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm only certain uh, that that AI will reach human level because I know it it seems like it's it's managed to to um to achieve human level in almost everything except everything, except like the 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 gen the general level. Right.
1: If it if it achieves if it gets to chess level of proficiency at something like joke creation or like, like it's already beaten us on so many things all it has to do is just fill in the gaps of the things that it
2: yeah it ha- seems like it seems like, uh, like okay so with, with AI the people that, the the people that uh, the disbelievers or whatever will always say oh well you know it could never uh, play chess against a grandmaster and win and then it happens that well okay of course chess it can do but it can never win something with natural language like it can't beat somebody in jeopardy like, oh well of course it can beat somebody in jeopardy because you know it can find this uh, 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 that we are running out of things to say well of course it can do that <laughs> right. before it does everything. So that's there
1: I mean not that I think this is a reason, but could there be a limit just because of like running up against the limits of Moore's law that we're
2: starting to, just being able no, to no, that's not gonna be an issue. No, is that, I don't I don't like, think it's like, I mean, getting power per square inch or whatever. No, that's that's, that's not the issue. First of all, I think I think it it might even be possible with the current uh, computational devices we have right now. It's just, it's just a matter just of improving software. the software. But but yeah, Moore's law is not just adding more transistors is there's like three-dimensional chips and there's all kinds of other new developments that would allow you to continue more slow for okay, so much, uh, so much, much longer than you would need to to create AI so so it's happening yeah I it's coming in in my in my humble humble opinion I, I, I just I I think about it in multiple in multiple ways and it seems like if you look at any any kind of trend it seems like all of them lead to that direction uh, it's almost it almost seems like even the people who who uh, who think ai is going to happen soon are being relatively conservative in in terms of how long it will take it's probably going to come all of a sudden and pretty soon
1: so. yeah yeah and we've been talking a lot about things like self-driving cars recently and we got an update from a, a listener on on the uber one um which it turns out was even shittier than we did you read that, that i either? did read that do you want to do
0: that well <laughs> sure. while you while you drag that up also we've got some people to thank because there's some donors have come in since last week uh i think we might have already thanked patrick chalkley but if not you're getting another thanks thanks for donating patrick uh also thanks brooks gilmore um thank you alexander jacobson new payment profile set up by alexander thank you very much It's very generous of you uh thank you also karen Meeburn. thank you uh uh that was alexander again uh thank you james casson Thank you, uh, Linda Moulton, as always. Holy shit, so generous. Uh, Thank you, Stuart Holding. Thank you to Jacob Rochester and... uh I'm good. Okay, so
1: this is a one-off donation. Did <laughs> you worry about the name?
0: Well, it, the name it Forrest could just coincidentally be. It, it could be coincidentally Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> uh,
1: if it's the real Forrest Whitaker, I love you, Black Panther. Um, good job in uh, uh, Ghost Dog: Way of the Samurai. Good
0: job in the, in the complete works of Forrest sure, Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> Platoon, if you are someone else called Forrest Whitaker, I apologize for having to go through life with the same name as that person. Uh, and if it's somebody who's just chosen the name for us, we're to go well. Good for you! What a what a fantastic actor to decide to name yourself after to send money to us. Only one R instead of pro- two R's, though.
1: Oh no, two R's instead of one. The actor has one, I think.
0: But <laughs> thank you for going to propertyscience and clicking on the donate button and doing that. Also, thank you for monthly donations coming through from Zvon- Zvonimir Croons. Uh, uh, thank you very much as well for a one off donation from Brian Silla. Uh, I think it was Chilia. Chilia. Oh yeah, you even say- even says how to pronounce it. I think. Maybe, maybe not. In an email he sent separately. Oh, right? there we go. That's why it was. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey Gelbach and also Jimmy Holtz uh, and William Mulligan. Thank you, all of you. I think that's the lot of them for this week. But that was all very generous of you. We really appreciate everyone who does
1: that. Yeah. And we got a lot of stories to cover next week you sent in. We got um, loads of stories. I'll just quickly go over this one Michael Porter sent in, and I, I swear we're not going to do self-driving cars every week, but it um, turns out that Uber driver that killed someone in Arizona um, was... It did detect the pedestrian, but just decided not to stop because of the way it was tuned. So um, yeah, we've oh. been talking about whether... Uh, obviously, this is a bad implementation of self-driving cars. I don't think it means we're not going to have a good implementation eventually. But, um, So yeah, when Uber's autonomous car fatally struck 49-year-old Elaine Herzberg in Arizona on March 18th, the AV's software reportedly decided to ignore the object in front of it leading up to the crash. That is, it saw the woman and made the decision it didn't need to react right away. So the report states, to remedy an overpowering number of false positives, which are hindrances of the road that pose no real threat, like a piece of cardboard, the threshold of Uber's software was tuned so low that even a grown woman with a bicycle did not trigger an immediate response. That's... Yeah, not... not uh, is it too early for fully autonomous vehicles? Is the technology not ready? The answer seems to be yes. But um, they said, what, what about the safety driver who was behind the wheel during the crash, they reduced the number of required safety drivers from two per vehicle down to one around October of last year. So that also didn't help. And they also reduced the number of safety sensors before the
0: crash from seven to just one single LiDAR sensor on the roof.
1: So a lot of bad
2: human choices. It's Uber. Who who knew that Uber would be terrible about this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always an issue is false positive. So you have to decide, like, when when you look around the world, there is it's all it's all probability i mean y- you're probably here uh, we're probably talking about science uh,
1: right oh yeah i guess even
2: human drivers also have to make yeah, you I...
1: see a cardboard box that fall off a truck you don't know if it's an empty cardboard box you don't have to swerve around because it'll just yeah. collapse under your tires or if it's full of something
0: uh, and a... i guess i guess this also plays into exactly what we we're talking about beforehand which is this is the kind of thing that the human brain is quite good at deciding but right actually it's all very instinctual whereas it actually takes a lot of calculation do you you don't want a self driving car to slam on the emergency brakes when an empty like when a like a newspaper sheet
2: like a single sheet right. of newspaper blows right. across the road when there is zero, 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 point zero, 000.000 probability there is somebody there you don't want to slam on the brakes every time that cuz that's, that's more that's, dangerous it, yeah it's at some point at some point you have to to say well the probability that there's a human there exists but it's not uh, but it's so small that i'm just going to continue driving so and, and that's what we're doing as humans we just we just don't think about it so the probability is so small that it's negligible that there's a human there and so but you have to make to, to to uh make that decision where where to draw the line and right
0: yeah i guess and that the, is a difficult calca- in, in the case of uber again they've done it badly and they cut corners and not had Pete cut numbers and yeah. cut costs and so, someone's dead but uh best. But I guess that is like even a perfect implementation of this technology is always going to have that problem of having to make that where where do you draw that line between dangerously slamming the brakes when there was no need to and not slamming the brakes when there's very much a need to?
2: Right, and it's going to end up in this. I feel it's going to end up with with uh, technology that, the moment the moment it surpasses human capacity by a factor of ten, then I feel like okay, let's let the automatic. Drive driving uh, apparatus just do it, and even even if occasionally it still have accidents, those accidents are going to be more rare, and so yeah,
1: right. And then we'll have that not to get into the whole thing, but the the trolley uh, conundrum uh, that which I think an entire episode of Radiolab delved into, which is at what point d- does the car decide uh, swerving to miss five people in the road, but at the expense of the life of the driver, is the thing it should do? Like how does it weigh relative? you know values of multiple
2: well, lives I, I, t- I tend to run into this problem every morning and uh, <laughs> it, it's funny it's funny like how how often those those questions are debated in philosophically but it almost they almost never happen or or maybe yeah uh but yeah i mean yeah i guess just just decide something and, and put it there <laughs> <laughs> just say the driver, I mean, driver gets to live and people yeah you can you can make it a human decision just put it program it into the thing you oh, know? every time
1: you get in the car you decide is my life worth more than uh if there are say five people in the road that i would hit but i could save their lives but i would go off a cliff
2: i mean we can vote on this we can vote vote on these sort of things as as humanity and say okay well if the car runs into that situation usually it's the decision of the person at the moment but you can program it into the, the right, machine right. um
0: yeah ari where can our listeners find out more about you both your comedy and your neuroscience work
2: uh ori, oriamir.com, uh probably gonna make uh, this website better soon uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but but you you can see you can see some stuff about my work and uh you know find my comedy there uh, there are some videos and there's my youtube channel where I'm trying to put uh videos of me uh doing comedy in different countries around the world and interviewing comedians you're gonna have Japan and Russia is coming soon. Uh, interviewing people about Putin Putin jokes versus Trump jokes in comedy clubs in Russia
1: (laughs) oh man I wonder what a Russian comedy club is like right now
2: yeah yeah they're they're, um, what you would I mean they're kind of like American comedy clubs in the 60s I don't know. Uh, I mean they, they do they do try to to uh, to copy copy many things from us. So they they have they actually have set list there. They have last comic standing. They have We oh, were we were talking about this the other really? day. Yeah, they've stolen setlist in in Russia. They've, <laughs> is,
1: they've is that <laughs> actionable?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, as as much as it's actionable for any other, like, bootlegs of <laughs> stuff in
2: Russia. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like we're stealing stuff from the Russians, too. Like, I've seen I've seen the Comedy Store on a Monday afternoon. I mean, you see this long line of hungry, desperate people.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's probably bread there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>.
0: <laughs> uh, awesome. OriAmir.com. OriAmir, look at Ori for his work. Uh, thank you, listeners. And once again, if you are interested at all in going on... Or even if you just, you know, we we'll contri- contribute your views on the possibility of the cruise, whether you think it might be worthwhile going. We'll put it in the show notes too, but StarTalkradio.net slash cosmic cruise. That's cosmic cruise all one word. Uh and um fill fill that out and feel free to, amongst your other suggestions, include your favorite uh comedy sciencey podcasty people so do that uh look up ori look up all his, his work uh, questions comments clarifications as always to probably science gmail.com or at probably facebook slash probably science probably science.com is also where you can find the donation button thank you again very much for everyone who did that and also everyone who spreads the word writes nice things about us on itunes and gives us high ratings and all that kind of good stuff
1: yes we really appreciate it
0: thank you we'll Bye. see
1: you next week